John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Good to see you. How are you doing? It looks like you have a fantastic background there. Yeah, you know what? I, uh, you know, my company, we work remote on Fridays. And so I have a cabin just right along, just it's in North Carolina, but near the Virginia border. And it's going to get cold tonight. So I want to make sure I had everything tightened up. You know, I don't want pipes freezing. So uh, it's a beautiful view. And so I thought I'd sit outside and, and join you on your call here. You know, John, I, I think I'm reflecting right now, real time, but I'm pretty sure you are the first person that I've ever interviewed who was sitting outdoors during well, the course of the conversation. So that's awesome. There's always a first. Well, there, well, there you go. You know, I, I'm in a very remote area, but I have fiber here at my cabin, which is really a, was a grant uh, given to this rural part. And uh, so I've got great connection here at the cabin. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's yeah. I, I feel like a lot of our, uh, our viewers and our listeners would love to be where you're at today. So yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm usually wearing a suit. So this is a wonderful, this, this fleece I have on because of the weather is a, a nice change. <laughs> I love it. Well, John, I, uh, again, welcome to the show. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, why we're here today instead of me. Yeah. Doing it. Thank you. Well, again, my name's John Bradford. I'm the CEO and founder of a company called pet screening. And, you know, we're a software platform. A lot of people think we test dog poo and we don't. We, we don't do poo. Uh, we actually help property managers um, better uh, handle their pet policies. Uh, we help validate reasonable accommodations for assistance animals. So if someone is seeking an accommodation for a service animal or a support animal like an emotional support animal, ESA is a very popular one. We make sure that those requests, in fact, meet the Fair Housing Act guidelines. Uh, and then for just traditional dogs and cats, we collect a lot of data on the pet and the pet parent. And we look at it with a very uh, complex algorithm that we've built over the last seven years. And we give a FIDO score. So everyone has a FICO score for people. We have the FIDO score for pets. And our clients use that FIDO score to help fine tune what I call their pet fees so that it covers the risk that they're taking. So I'm curious, we're, we're always, and I like the FIDO thing. I see what you did Thank there. You. Um, I, uh, I, we're always curious here at the Multifamily Collective, the founder story. So were you scratching your own itch? Is that the origin story or what is the origin story? For yeah, so, so I'm actually a professional property manager. I know, Mike, you obviously, you know, you've been in the industry a long time, which is why you have the credibility you do. And I think, you know, some of the best products are built because they are solving a true problem. They're a solution to something. And so for 15 years, I've been a property manager. I've been in the single family side of the business, not the multifamily, you know, but our problems are the same. You know, the, the portfolio is more spread out versus the, the, you know, I would say the density of say multifamily, but we still have to collect rents. We still have to deal with maintenance issues. We still have to deal with pet issues. Um, and I had my own company. I had a management company. We were sizable for our industry. We were one of the larger management companies. Uh, we had, uh, really developed a reputation nationally. We were doing management for a lot of the REITs, such as uh, Invitation Homes, American Homes for Rent, Progress Residential. Before they had their own in-house shops, if they were in the markets where we were, we were their partner. So we were doing all their management. And uh, and frankly, I'm a pet lover. I don't, do you have a pet, Mike? I do. Yeah, so I mean, 70% of Americans have pets. We were very pet friendly here in the United States. And it's not just one pet, everybody. We actually have 1.6 pets. I'm a three pet family. How many do you have? Two. <laughs> All right. So there you go. We're five pets between us. So we're two and a half averages between you and me. And so, you know, so, you know, pets are out there. They're prevalent. Uh, they're part of the family. Uh, but pets bring risk, right? Anything that's living brings risk. And so I also... Um, fundamentally have never believed that all pit bulls are dangerous. I, I understand that they are dogs that can bite and they have strong jaws, but all dogs bite. I think you can raise a pit bull by loving family and 
and the reduce of the, the reduction of risk by having just a good pet parent, I think is important. And so I think data can tell a, a bigger story. So as a property manager, my company had a dog bite incident and it was with a it was with a portfolio of products that was handed to me, a rent portfolio where I didn't place this dog or the resident for that matter. But what I learned was there was nothing in the file. Imagine that nothing in the file on the dog. Never and happened. and you know which does happen, especially when when you inherit other assets, right? That's so right. It, it made, but it did raise the question: like, what was my own company? What were we getting on every dog or cat? And our in-house counsel gave me a very academic answer, and so I tested that against our actual property manager. I think we had eleven property managers, so I started going one to one by one, said, "Hey, what do we do when someone says they have a pet?" And I got eleven different answers, and I thought, "Wow, as as good as we are." As sharp as we are, as forward thinking as I believe we were, we just weren't really managing this very well. And so kind of the idea, I think, started to develop. I also have this very, uh, you, you may not be familiar with my other gig, but I serve in the North Carolina House of Representatives. I do. And so, okay, yeah. So that's a unique perspective because in North Carolina, I have, oh, since I've been serving, I have carried our state's tenant landlord legislation. And so I have worked with the North Carolina Apartment Association, the North Carolina Association of Realtors. Uh, I've worked with NRHC. And I enjoy that because I understand property management and, and residents and tenants have rights. And so do landlords. And so everyone in the legislature, both the Senate and the House in North Carolina, were shoving people to me if something came up about assistance animals. Uh, and then I started to see, wow, there's a lot of confusion here. And that was sort of the second pen. And I took those two pens together and said, I'm going to come up with a product to help property managers navigate the complexities and challenges of pets and pet policies and also animals. Because you and I both know that an animal in housing is a different context than a pet. I mean, to the, to the common person just not in housing, you'd say a pet is an animal. Well, I guess that's true. But in our world, an animal, an assistance animal is something very specific definitionally. And, um, and so my, our, our product tries to help you navigate that. And that's how it was all started. Uh, pet screening was available as a domain. It, I, when I when I got on GoDaddy, this was what seven eight years ago. Um, it, it said when I looked it up, it was a screen that slid into a pet door, like in a door. And I'm like, well, the domain petscreen.com is available, so I bought it for eleven bucks. Ah. <laughs> so I bought pet screening because you know when I got my MBA, it was like a business is in its name, and I thought, well, pet screening. That's what we're doing. We're screening pets. And uh, but I bought animal screening. So I own animalscreening.com. I own animalscreener.com and I own petscreener.com. I own four, all four of those. They all point back to pet screening. <laughs> I love it. That's yes. a good way to do it. It's a, it's a moat. It's a hedge of protection, right? It's absolutely. I, so you, you broached on something that is very interesting to me as it relates to service animals. And, yes, and I have to believe in my heart of hearts that that is a, it's, it, not that I believe it. It is a fact. It is a very complex uh, scenario. Yeah. I, I want to underpin this story by telling a very quick story of my own experience. I was sitting in a boardroom one day and I was listening to an attorney talk about taking her great Dane onto an airplane. And she literally disclosed out loud that she got a service animal certification from a doctor, not really in the appropriate way, and used that to get her great Dane on the airplane. I have to believe that it happens in the apartment. Well, I know it does. It does. But, so how do you, I'm really curious how pet screening works to combat that kind of dishonesty. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, pet screening, we don't really do anything magical. What we do is we follow the federal guidelines and it's, it's educating all the parties, right? Because you have multiple people involved when you, when someone is seeking a reasonable accommodation for uh, an assistance animal and see assistance animal 
used to be, and this is pretty complex. So I'll try to keep me from going too deep here. There was a time when assistance animal in housing used to include service animals and support animals all blended into one, just assistance animal covered everything. Okay. Yeah. Not to be confused with the ADA, which is applicable when you go to like, you know, go to dinner tonight and you see a dog at the table next to you, or maybe you go into Lowe's or Home Depot and you see someone walking a dog, you know, you know, assuming that they're not pet friendly, someone has a service animal. The ADA, everyone conflates the ADA with the Fair Housing Act, but they're actually very different. ADA is all for public accommodation, so things open to the general public. The uh, Fair Housing Act is, and HUD is over private accommodations, which would be things like rental properties. Right. But, but the uh, Fair Housing Act, for the longest time, just kind of combined everything in this one term called assistance animals. Well, in 2020, and that was from 2013 to 2020, in 2020, HUD came in and said, we're going to follow or mirror the ADA for service animals. So they busted the term of assistance animals into two, service animals and support animals. And so now there's different review processes of what you can do in the Fair Housing Act, but even the service animal uh, rules or guidelines under the Fair Housing Act is slightly different than the rules for service animals and ADA. And then, by the way, you have the ACAA, which is the Air Care Access Act, which is airlines. So what was happening is everyone gets confused between those acts. And what pet screening does is we come in and we make sure everyone understands we're talking about one act. It's the Fair Housing Act. So forget about ADA. Forget about the airlines because those don't, are, not, are not applicable as it relates to assistance animals. And then what pet screening does is we make sure we understand, are you seeking a reasonable accommodation for a service animal or a support animal? And once we know which one that is, we apply the proper review processes to make sure that the information we're collecting is permissible and then we're, that we're applying the appropriate rules. And by doing that, the person who is submitting the accommodation, which people often say the applicant, right? But they're actually called the requester. That's their official name, but we'll call them an applicant. We want the applicant to know that there's a role that they have to play because after all, they're seeking the accommodation. And so they have some work to do. They got to provide some things, especially as it relates to say support animals. But then you have a healthcare provider involved. So now you got to educate them. Then you have the property manager involved. They need to be educated. And so pet screening, we're triangulating that and making sure everyone knows the rules. We treat everybody exactly the same. And we do it every single day and we do it for four and a half million rental units across the country. Wow. In all, in all 50 States. That is a huge number. It's a big number. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of I mean, equity, I know you used to work there. We have all of equity. Yeah. For example, I mean, they're REIT, you know, these, these are some really smart companies and they've, they've, you know, we're so happy that they've chosen our services. Definitely. I, I want to go back to something that I, I heard you mention in your lead statement. You, you're not only collecting information on the pet owner or the pet, itself, but also right. on the pet owner. And I'm just, yes. can you unpack that? You had a term for it. It sounded really cool, but yeah, pet, we call it, yeah, the pet parent. And so okay. um, pet parent. Yeah. So think about the smallest of dog, maybe a, a, what, a teacup poodle or chihuahua maybe. So they're really tiny, right? right? You and I would agree that a teacup chihuahua probably couldn't hurt a squirrel if it tried, right? So we would all agree that a teacup chihuahua is not going to kill or bite a child, right? So that, that we all instantly go, let's well, low risk, no problem. But what if the pet parent, Mike, refuses to keep that teacup chihuahua on a leash? And now it's running around its feet and it's looking a lot like a squirrel to a bigger dog that is on a leash with its owner following the rules. And all of a sudden that dog, the bigger dog, gets stimulated seeing this chipmunk looking thing running around, even though it's a dog and it's fair game. And now that dog unsuspecting, cause the owner's just kind of, you know, maybe not gripping the leash hard, but just their dog's not really a, a, a puller. All of a sudden that dog takes off. Now it gets a hold of that little thing and it kills it. I mean, imagine who is responsible for that. 
Well, I can tell you the answer is the pet parent of the teacup chihuahua for not keeping on a leash. And so what we do is we're making sure pet parents understand you've got rules, rules like leashing, rules like waste pickup, rules like making sure my pet goes to the veterinarian or animal, vet, pet, pet or animal, by the way, goes to the veterinarian regularly because most states have a statutory a vaccination requirements for rabies. Those are all things that are very, very important. And a lot of property managers, I know, and I, I can say this because I am one. I, I still have all my you know, professional designations um, and I own rental properties just as an investor. So I, 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 I like to say pet screening was created for property managers by a property manager. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of areas where we just don't dig deep enough. And what pet screening does is we do that. We kind of do the, the deeper digging. We collect that data. We put it on a, we codify it on a, a formal record and then we have it at your fingertips. And it's just been incredibly powerful. I mean, it's, we have, I pinch myself, Mike, every day. I, I, I go places. It's the craziest thing. I, I was on an airplane. I and like you, you're probably trying to conferences. I was wearing a pet screening shirt. And I was in Utah, I think. And the stewardess says, oh, my God, pet screening. She's like, I love it. She's like, my apartment made me use it. But I use it with my, um, uh, my doggy daycare. Because our clients can use their profiles with other things. Once they have all their pet data at their fingertips, they can share it. And, and I was like blown away that this person on an airplane somewhere knew our company. I mean, that was like one of those moments you go, wow, it's pretty neat. I love that. I totally love that. So it's, it's kind of like a, it sounds like a, a, like a pet resume that you can transport wherever you need in terms yeah. of. Yeah, it, and it is because we, we're the only, we're the largest database of recorded pet incidents in the country. What I mean by that is every property manager has the ability to report incidents. So if you have a dog biting incident, you can report that and it will follow the pet and the pet owner into perpetuity. If you if you if you catch someone with an unauthorized pet, you can report an unauthorized pet incident that will follow that person into perpetuity. If a, if a person moves out and the cat has urinated the back bedroom and it's very pungent and now you got to replace maybe carpet and, and padding and maybe even some subfloor, you, know, you spent two grand, you can report pet damage. That will follow that cat. So those data points are very meaningful to our industry. And we collect that if there's a problem. And then we can share that with the next property manager as well. Um, but of course, if there is no bad history, well, then that's a good thing. And this is about pet responsibility, pet accountability. We are not punitive, Mike. We love pets. In fact, I, I don't know, before you started recording, I fundamentally don't believe all pit bulls, German shepherds, you know, chows, Dobermans, that these are dangerous dogs. I mean, yes, they are naturally guarding dogs. But if you have a wonderful pet parent, because I can promise you, Mike, if I took a Doberman pincher as a puppy, it would be the lickiest Doberman you'd ever meet because I just know the way I love and cuddle my dogs and take care of them. And so if a, and if a housing provider turned me down just because it's a Doberman and really didn't understand, well, wait a minute, my Doberman's been to pet tra or pet training program. My Doberman's microchip. My Doberman has every shots and then some. My Doberman's neutered. I mean, whatever that is. That says everything about the type of resident and pet parent you're going to have than just about the dog. And we we don't force property managers to tell them what to do, what to take. We just try to give them data to make a better, more informed decision. So so it came to mind as you were speaking through that I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the car world and Carfax. And so if you're, yes. if you're and I know it's not punitive. I want to highlight there and emphasize yes. that it's not punitive, but if it's you not. did have a record of your dog being sort of non-compliant and or at risk, so to speak, does that follow you? Let's say we had, I had pet screening here at Radco, pet screening at another community. You come and apply at my community. Does that? Yes, it happened. It happened. I mean, it did. it's happening. We've been around long enough where that's happening. And this is particularly important 
for the whole reasonable accommodation accommodation side of the business. Yeah. There's a handful of reasons in which an accommodation, a reasonable accommodation can be denied. And one of them is if there is a possible um, safety concern sure. about not the breed of dog, but a specific dog. Right. So if there was a prior record, a biting incident at a, another property and it's on and it has been reported and then now this person seeking a reasonable combination, say with Radco, just for example, sure. and if my company was doing this, we would see that uh, and we would say, okay, well, who filed that incident? And then we would try to reach out and get more details. And then we would start investigating, well, was it a provoked incident or non-provoked incident? Because dogs can't, I mean, if you're a, if I'm a dog and you're kicking me, I'm going to probably bite you. Yeah, right. not a provoked incident. But if I'm just walking down the road with my dog and then some strange dog runs over and attacks mine, that's a that's an unprovoked and that's a different level of behavior. And so we kind of dig down into those details when we know about them. And there and until pet screening, there is no place like this. Right now, right. you know, at the end of the day, you know, that while that data is important, I mean, it's part of our overall scoring process, because as you can imagine, a seven year old company, you know, we don't have every pet in, in our database. So, you know, we, we use the data we have when we have it. But but notwithstanding not having, say, a reported bad pet incident, we have all this other data, vaccinations, photos, uh, details of their vet, their veterinarian's phone number, a microchip number. All of those things tell a broader story. Um, and, and that's where the FIDO score comes into play because the FIDO score is really helpful to property managers. It's, it's, it is. It's been really fun to, we trademark that, by the way. Um, I love that. Yeah. I, no, I, I see that as a huge benefit. That entire, entire scenario, I see it as a huge benefit, not only for yes. property owner, but also for, for the pet owner themselves in the sense that you could have an incident to your point that was unprovoked and it is there, but hey, look, here's the, here's the incident. Here's why. And you're, you're not at risk of taking this pet into your community. So I, I, that brings me back to uh, another question of curiosity as it relates to governance. So you have somebody that moves into a community and you mentioned inoculations and, and it, keeping records of that and making sure that that's done on a periodic basis. Is, is that something that your platform actually tracks? And if somebody is not getting their pets vaccinations, things of that nature, then it'll send an alert to the pet yeah, owner? That's exactly or... right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so we, you know, once we, um, I mean, it's up to the pet owner to the pet parent to actually upload vaccination records and details. But then we have calendars and reminders. And this is really coming from a position of good. We want to remind the pet owner, the pet parent, that their vaccinations are going to be expiring. So we start alerting them just so they, because that's just good governance as a pet right. parent, right? And right. we let them know. But then we also, of course, uh, alert the property manager or our client uh, as well, if in fact it expires. And so, we, yes, we do all of that. And again, the idea is just to create a more responsible, more accountable community. If I'm, you know, I mean, obviously there was a day when I lived on site and rented like, you know, most, I think people kind of go through that cycle before they start to buying homes. And, and if I was not a, a pet, uh, pet owner of any kind, I would want to make sure I'm living in a community where if I am surrounded by pets, that if I'm going to get, if I'm bringing my groceries in, I'm going to be accosted by an unvaccinated dog. I want to know that this community cares enough about my right to quiet enjoyment uh, and that I'm going to be safe. And I'm not fear mongering here. I'm not suggesting there's rabid dogs running all over. I'm just saying that it's just nice to know that my community is, is very supportive of pets, but it's also supportive of people that don't have pets because I don't want to step on poo when I'm walking through the community park. I don't want to be a, you know, have a jog with wet paws, jump on my suit when I'm trying to get to the car because it's not being contained on a leash. 
while that dog is very well intended, just wants to lick. And I would do it if I was in my gym shorts, but I'm in a suit. And so that's what pet screening tries to bring. Because one thing, Mike, we haven't talked about, and perhaps we will, is we've talked about pets. We've talked about assistance animals. But pet screening even screens non-pet owners. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love your face. I, love your, your, I was like, I couldn't, have, well, I couldn't have asked for a better face. You're like, here's why. <laughs> People without pets still have an obligation to acknowledge and understand that not having a pet doesn't just stop there. It, it, it goes beyond the day you move in without a pet. It extends to six months in, I can't go get a pet. It, it extends to, I can't be a pet fostering parent. As noble as that is, and a wonderful thing, I cannot do that in this apartment or this rental home unless my landlord has put that in writing. I cannot pet visit. My girlfriend, my boyfriend, my partner cannot come over every weekend and shack and bring their dog without my, my landlord's permission in writing. And we codify that on a record so that if you, if one day, let's say one of your assets, you get a phone call and say, gosh, little Timmy in unit 301 just got a dog biting incident. And you go look it up and say, well, Timmy is, has a no pet or no animal profile with pet screening. Well, now when the courts get involved or, or an insurance company gets involved and it comes out that it was Timmy's you know, brother visiting with his dog and his dog bit, you'll have this wonderful record showing where Timmy, your resident, knew that the brother should not have brought their dog. And Mike, I'm not joking. I, I, I would never make things up. I'm not in the business of doing that. Uh, we have companies that come to us at trade shows that say your, your no pet, no animal profile got us released from lawsuits because they knew that we did all the diligence we could and, and we can't stand outside their door 30, 365 days out of the year. We can't. Right. And so this whole no pet profile um, was not John Bradford's idea, by the way. When I started pet screening, we were only pets and animals. But we listened to our customers. And one regional manager at a multifamily, big, big name property management company said, John, we love your product. But let me tell you, we're solving problems. And this was before COVID, when on-site living was still very popular amongst like the on-site agents. Oh, they said, we'll move someone in last week with no pet. And then the next week we see them walking around with a dog and we know who they are because we just moved them in. They're like those people, that's a challenge for us. And that's when we went back to the whiteboard and said, well, what if we had a no pet profile? Get these folks on the record that they know. I mean, Mike, 20% of the people that start a no pet profile actually go back and switch it to a pet before they submit it. Oh, wow. So they intend to mislead, but then they see this form in front of them and they. Uh, and, 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 it's, and it's more than a form. We have. Listen, I told you I'm a lawmaker. I'm not an attorney, uh, <laughs> but I, I think I'd be a good one. Uh, I, I'm a lawmaker. And so I we, we know words are very powerful on paper. And, sure. you know, and, you know and, and, and when you're doing adjudication in the courts, there's a physical doc, document known as an affidavit. Right. And that is a legal binding uh, document that, you know, if you go in and if you have an affidavit or something and you're lying, I mean, it's, it's serious business, right? It's a crime. So right. we have legal, of course, this is a software product. So we use legal attestations and our legal attestation is very similar to affidavit language. And, and they have to acknowledge at the very, after they've already given all the answers, that's the final step every single time. And that's important because if they're going to lie, Mike, and there's yeah. lots of ways that they can fib. Uh, lie is a strong word, but I mean, sure. I really that's what it is. But, you know, whatever. Stretch the truth, fib, whatever. Right. But if they say they don't have a pet and they really do and they go through that no pet profile, no animal profile, and they've said, no, I'm, I agree I won't do this. I agree I agree this. I don't have a pet. And then they get that legal attestation and then they hit that enter button. They double down that they're really telling the truth. Everything they're is true and accurate. And then that dog bite happens. That is the part that the courts are going to look at them. Whether it be a jury of their peers, uh, they're going to just look at them and say, 
not only did you lie, but you actually had a chance to go back and not do that. And you chose to move ahead anyway. That's wow. very powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. And that is part of our process across all three of those lanes. So if someone uploads a poodle picture because they really have a, a Doberman, because that property oh. won't allow a Doberman. And then when we get to the end and they submit a legal attestation that what I'm submitting is true and accurate, and it's not a poodle, but they've said it's a poodle and they've gone and got one off the internet, a little screen grab of a poodle. And then that pit bull or, or Doberman, sorry, in this example, does sure. something nefarious. How are they going to ever look a jury and a judge in their eyes and say, I, I made a mistake and uploaded a poodle? It just doesn't fly, right? No. And that's the power of our platform. And then when you couple that with the fact that we're free and we don't cost property managers a single penny, it's unbelievable. Wait, it's unbelievable. say that one more time. Say that one I, more time. Yeah, I said, I said the fact that our service is completely free to property managers, completely free. It, it's like people almost go, what's the, get, what's the catch? And I'm like, well, there isn't a catch. I'm a property manager. I saw a problem. I solved it. I also am a property manager that I'm very tight. And I didn't want, as a property manager, I didn't want to be spending a lot of money for something. So I just went and made our product free. We make revenue, of course, but we only charge pet owners a very nominal pet application fee. People without pets don't pay a darn penny. It's free. I could never charge a no pet owner for anything. That'd be like crazy, right? So we don't, but we get them on the record for free, but it's, and it's still free to you. People seeking reasonable accommodations. I can't charge them. I don't charge them. You don't get charged. But if they have a pet, I, we do collect a small pet application fee. We truly make our money 20 to 25 bucks at a time. That's all. That's how we get paid. That's it. Wow. That is, that is amazing. That, that is amazing. I, I, I want to shift gears slightly. Um, Talk to me about workflows. So probably me, I, I just heard the word application. So yes. I'm assuming there's a workflow with this. Can you kind right. of unpack the workflow for our our yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so we, we are integrated with all the major software platforms. I mean, and uh, if you think of them, we're integrated with them. And it's not, it's a two-way integration. So we are pinging back and forth with API, uh, APIs every, I think, nine to 10 minutes typically, um, all day long. So when somebody goes through one of those platforms, right? Cause there's many of them that are out there. We all know who they are. There's lots of big ones. Um, when the human, the, the, the person, I call it the people application. When that process is finished and they hit the submit button, then those integrations, that's what triggers pet screening as the next flow. And what, what happens is our API grabs certain information about that applicant. And then we send a direct communication to that applicant with very credible information so that they know this is legitimate. This is coming from the property where I'm obviously applying. And we make it clear that whether you have a pet or, or no pet, or if you have an assistant sound, doesn't matter. You need to go through this. And then they click a link, a little start here button. And then it takes them to a new browser experience of which they finish their app, their, their, application, if you will, whether it be a no pet profile, a pet profile, or an assistant animal profile. And when it's finished and submitted, every nine minutes, the two products are looking for changes. And we push certain things back into that core product. And we push the key things back that a property manager would want to know, like the status, what's the FIDO score. You can even, in our tool, you can assign uh, pet fees to the FIDO score. So if you've done that, we can push what pet fee it might be because we deliver that news to the resident for you. So we'll tell the resident if it's $50 a month or $30 a month. We, and then now you can go plug that into your lease. And so it's very uh, communicative back and forth using the APIs. And that's the way the workflow works. Now, obviously, there is a population of people when you start using pet screening that are already living there. And they've already applied, right? Right. So they're not going to go and trigger that application process on, say, their second renewal, right? So for those folks, we have a digital flyer that often gets added into the renewal packet. Okay. 
And then what happens is that resident knows that in order to do my lease renewal, I have to click on the button in this electronic flyer. And when they click on that button, it kicks off the same workflow. Understood. And then about eight, I would say about 18 months later, if a, if a property is taking this very, I mean, this isn't, this is a uh, really easy, I wouldn't say it's work free. Cause you know, you got to make sure people are doing this. We can only remind them so many times, right? But if you really are making sure every resident and every renewal are truly doing some profile, cause everyone should have something. Cause it's one of those three buckets. Then in about 18 months, everyone on site has it. And then everybody's in the queue. That makes sense. That's it. so, so if someone moves from one community to another, let's yes. say it's not same property management company. It's a different property management company. Okay. They, yep. they, and I know that it's mobile. They sort of carry this pre mm -hmm. profile with them, but do they go through, do you have to, I guess, reapply or does it just carry yeah, over? Great, great question. So our profile, you know, one thing, um, cause I really do try to put myself on everyone's shoes and I do think people get fee exhaustion. And so I'm sure. very sensitive to that. And I didn't want them having to pay, you know, $25 every time they went to a property. So our profile is good for one year. So if they're moving within one year, the, the pet parent, since it's their profile, they can share it electronically. They literally can go in and share it with a property or a property can actually, if they're signed up with pet screening, they can go do a global lookup of that resident's email oh. and request it. And then that person will get an email. They'll confirm to share it. Now, what happens is the last, let's say there's property manager A and property manager B. A was the one that they're moving out of. So that'll be the legacy property manager and B is the new one. Well, A doesn't lose the profile. We let A maintain that profile in perpetuity because if there's ever a, a lawsuit in arrears, we sure. want them to have that data. But the FIDO score could be different at property A than property B because the FIDO score is dynamic based on every specific rule by each property manager. So the same dog could have different FIDO scores. If one didn't allow a pit bull, but the other one did, there'd be a very naturally different scores, just as a very simple example. But sure. it's really the same profile and they're not paying again. And so that profile would live in two places, both still active, even though one is truly being used. And then after the 12 month mark comes, we start nudging that person that they need to renew. And you may say, well, why do they need to renew? And here's why, because there's, a, there's actually several reasons. One, uh, a lot of people move in with 10 year old dogs and they pass away during the lease, 12 year old dogs. And what do you think they do, Mike, when that happens? They get another, well, some yeah. time passes, they get another dog. And typically it's a puppy. Right. And, and now your level of risk just changed. You had an 11-year-old dog that slept all day, very yeah. lower risk. Now you have a puppy that's going to chew baseboards, chew anything, little door stoppers. And so the whole renewal is to make sure is A, even the same pet that you've had. Is that pet still vaccinated? And oh, by the way, did your pet go bite anyone at a dog park right. some, at this time of year? And, even, and if they say no and they go on the record, fine. But that, that's just making sure we're staying current. And I promise you, that's a giant gap in the industry. I know because I lived it for a long time. Sure. Oh, sure. I, I'm, uh, okay. Now I'm going to take a hard right or a hard left turn. Um, AI seems to be everywhere these days. You've been collecting data on pets and people for the past seven years. I have to imagine you're incorporating AI and or you're sort of thinking about it, road mapping, how you can put AI against this giant data set you have. And I'm just curious if you're able to, to share anything you're thinking about as it relates to that. Yeah, I can. So, you know, so a couple things, um, you know, we want to deliver value to, I would say, but we're a, a B to B to C company. So our, we will have two clients, you know, the pet parent is a client, they pay the fee and they're using the product. And then of course we have the property manager that has signed up for our services. And, you know, I easily could have taken the position, well, I'm only going to work for the property manager. And my number one goal is to get them that FIDO score and get them that data. 
and just let that person pay 25 bucks and not really care about their experience. But I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. So we've really focused on what can we deliver back to the pet parent. And by the way, even for the animal owners that never pay a penny, we, we don't ignore them. What can we deliver to them too? And so we have, um, we went and purchased an asset called betterpet.com. Think of WebMD, but it's called Better Pet. It's veterinarian procured content. Every piece of content at Better Pet are written by veterinarians. And we have focused on content that's all about pets and rental housing. So what, how do I keep my dog from barking and bugging my neighbors or... And so we're, and so here's where AI can, is, has started to come in. We're able to use AI to generate issues that are important to pets, pet owners living in communal housing. And then from that, we go to our vets and they write articles to support it. And wow. now we're really starting to deliver the, I think the most valuable content that's relevant uh, as times change uh, because COVID, the number of pets uh, that, that, uh, that people have really shot up. I mean, one in five people that had a pet went and got another pet during COVID. And so they're home off, they're home more often because of work schedules. And so they want to do more with their pets. So we're using AI on our content side of our business of delivering valuable content to make pet parents better, which then translates to a much better experience for our property managers. And that is how we've been using AI. I hope that answers your question. It, it, it absolutely does. I'm, I'm just fascinated by the entire topic and, and how people are putting uh, AI against their own databases, but then how they're marrying together databases. So like, let's say the, you use a, a pet, uh, let's say a pet store or any kind of pet related uh, commerce that's out in the world, they have databases also. And when you marry your database together with their database, it seems that, you know, they're producing some really creative things and, and actually kind of segueing to the next question is identifying different verticals for your, I mean, you have an underlying technology that is very valuable and it could, you know, it could play into other lines of business for you and you could use AI to actually identify those different business lines and not that you're doing that, but you could. And right, right. Well, I mean, one, well, one example of a vertical would be insurance, you know, pet, yeah. pet health insurance. It is a newer segment of the insurance market, uh, pet screening. We have a li uh, insurance license. Mm -hmm. because we wanted to make sure that we could pursue pet health insurance. And so we're, you know, we've been able to find pet health insurance companies that, of course, want to get in front of our clients, as you can imagine. But the only way I'm going to let them do that is if I make sure our clients, and in this instance, the client is, is the pet owner, but yet my property manager benefits because a healthy pet is a good pet on site, right? Not one that's barking all day because it's hurting or crying all day because it's sore. And so having good pet health insurance, I think is something important. So we're able to find pet health insurance companies that'll say, hey, if if this pet owner pay, signs up for our policy, we will give them $50 off their policy. Well, that more than double pays for what they paid to do the application to begin with. Right. That is a big, and that's a big deal. And we are able to get a insurance commission because we have insurance license. Right. But it's but, but what's important for me to say is we're so thoughtful. And maybe this is just, I don't like it when my phone blows up with like healthcare plans and warranties. That drives me nuts. And so we are very thoughtful with our data because I want to make sure we put the data to good. And if I and I do think it is good to help someone save fifty bucks. A health a health a pet health policy is usually about five hundred a year. So a ten percent off is about fifty bucks. That's real money. I mean, fifty dollars is you know that's a dinner out somewhere, right? Or in this case, over the maybe the that's close to covering maybe their human application, if you will. So right. I feel good about giving them a deal. They save money. It's more accountable. My property manager wins. We might make a small commission, 
that to me is very fair game, and that's kind of the way we look at it. That that um, it, so in the party management world, as you well know, if I if I require my resident to have renter's insurance, yes, my bigger umbrella policy for a particular property becomes a little bit cheaper. Does that same sort of thought process apply on the pet side? If you have all of your pets are insured in some way on the property because there's less risk in that. You know, I don't, it... I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if underwriters look at that. I will tell you that we, um, we are approached often by insurance company, very intrigued about our data. And I'm not, I believe some point that some insurance company somewhere is going to probably want to say, Hey, we want to give discounts on GL general liability policies for companies yeah. that are using pet screening. Because I mean, our data, I mean, we have first party authentic data. We don't buy our data pays us to collect the data, right? If you think about it, you're right. giving me all this data, but you're going to be honest because it's about your dog and then you pay me for it. So it is the purest kind of data there is. Like there's no reason for them to lie. That's right. And so, so we're the steward of this and we want to be very meaningful and thoughtful about it. And we are, I mean, we have the best privacy attorney counsel in the country that makes sure that we are never running afoul of any privacy laws. I mean, in my role in politics, I have to take, I call it the high road, then there's a the pet screening high road. I'm very, very just conscientious about that. And we do that because you know, we know we have very good data and we believe, I believe that there will be insurance companies like, you know, the underwriters, right? Not the brokers that actually could somehow develop GL policies, give our clients better rates just by using us. Because I promise you, we are making a difference at our communities. I, I we hear it. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, this is, I'm not a, I mean, I am a sales guy and I'm a good one, but I'm not selling you. I'm just making the point that I go too many places and hear too many people talk about how they love our service. And when they leave a company A and go to company B, regional managers will take us with them. I have, I have people that are VPs at one company and go to a VP of another company, they take us with them. That is a meaning, that is a, that is unbelievable to us. Oh no, it's the best testament ever. It is. Right. It's, it's the best sales force we could ever have. That, you know? That's right. That's I right. remember when, uh, do you know, do you know, uh, well, I mean, she, I've considered her to be a friend, although I know she just retired. She was Kat, Catherine Newell. Oh, in name only. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So she was kind of, uh, chief legal counsel of a gray star. And she, uh, I just remember getting on a stage one day and she just said, you know, we love, she just talked about pet screen, but how this, I mean, I, for her to say that, like, I mean, all the attorneys in that room were like, okay, where's pet screen? <laughs> I mean, so it's not, again, and, and she is an amazing attorney and she's now retired. I'm, I'm going to call her by the way and just say, Hey, how can you help me? <laughs> if she's listening to this, she's like, oh God. Uh, but anyway, it's just fun. I, I just, you know, to have an idea six and a half years ago, it was just an idea. And now to see where we are, I mean, it's the American dream. I'm not joking. I, I'm so lucky and fortunate to have, have worked in property management to see this issue. And then actually, and I, I'm an entrepreneur, so I put my money where my mouth is, I always have. So I actually put my own money in and I bootstrapped this baby on my own for a long time. And now where we are, we just hit our hundredth employee um, you know, at the company and, um, which is not a race I'm trying to win. That's a lot of people, uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's a milestone and, um, and we're growing every day. And I just, I don't know, I'm very lucky and I can't, I can't thank our, 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 uh, you know, our advocates enough really. Yeah. I think, I think it's tremendous and, and congratulations by the oh, way. Thank you. And it, it, as we sort of draw to a close here, I, I'm wondering if there are any questions that I've not asked you that would be germane for our audience or certain pieces of the platform that we haven't talked about that you think would be valuable. You know, one thing that I think the industry is starting to wrestle with is they're listening to the, the current, when I think of, you know, po the political winds 
are very interesting, right? I mean, just sure. look at what's going on on just turn on any news channel, no matter your your ideology. It's you know, it's always like just negative news. Um, sure. but there's a lot of discussion right now around junk fees. Yeah. And 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 I'm I'm gonna repeat the word junk fee. I don't really like that term because I, I believe tenants and residents have rights. Absolutely. I also believe I believe in property rights and I believe investors make investments in assets and they have a right to to fair market recover what's fair. And the, the market bears bears that fruit. Um, that's just a capitalistic system. And I think that's fair. And, and, and that said, when I hear junk fees, I think a lot of property managers right now are really looking at what are we charging that we should be charging uh, or what are we charging that we should not be charging? And what are the areas that we could perhaps start charging that would navigate it. And so like pet screening, our fees, we don't, we will never fall into the category of junk fees because pets are a privilege. They're not a right, they're a privilege. And so, you know, that fee that the pet owner has to pay is not a junk fee whatsoever. There are lots of programs and services out there that have ancillary revenue and you can uplift the lease. And some of those may fall into those categories and I'm not critical of them, I, none of them, I, I, I am not. Um, I think, though, property managers or the larger companies I'm talking to, they're really sensitive. And so since they know that they have to be very careful there, it's almost helping us because they see that the FIDO score and the pet fees are absolutely fair game. And so, you know, we don't fall into the junk fee category, We, you know, and so I, that's something exciting for us. It was, we didn't set out on that, but I think it's pretty interesting of, of what's going on. So we're able to kind of talk about that every time we're on the phone because these answers, this is a safe bet. Like all you're doing is charging the fees commensurate the risk you're taking that is very fair game and pets you can say no to if you want to now animals you can't and of course you can't charge fees anyway so we're not talking about them we're talking about pets and so um that's a big one then of course the poo i mean when i, I this happens still people see the word pet screening and because they they only know of dna testing they think we screen dna and we, and we don't we're partners with poo prints we or, or not to throw out company names but whoever companies are out there but poo prints is one of them and right. we're good, we're good friends I, I know their ceo he spent that at my house I mean, we're, I mean i know these guys well uh but we don't do dna we, uh, that's a great service and i think it is a, a great thing but we're different i say we're more on the front end they're more on the back end and and, and they like that too we because again we've done marketing campaigns together etc uh but i think we can sometimes get passed over because people just think that we're the, the, the DNA testing. And so I try to always educate people, say, we don't do poo, we're a free service, and this is what we do. And typically the reaction is, oh, my God, I've never heard of you. Where have you been? This is awesome. But we just got to reach those folks. That's, our, that's, that's the hardest part is reaching them. Well, well I, I will admit that prior to doing just a slight bit of research before getting on the call today, I thought that, in fact, was there what you go. Case in point. And, and, and by the way, I... I mean, and I'm not, I'm never offended. I'll typically, I do these executive meetings and um, reverse trade shows and meet people. And they sit down and say, do you mind if I just ask you, what do you think we do? And they're kind of puzzled. I'm like, no, just, I'm just curious. Like, just tell me one sentence. And then typically they say poo. And I say, you know what? We don't. And they're like, really? And then I tell them, they're like, wow. And then they'll admit, you know, I really almost didn't take this meeting. So for us, we just have to educate and make sure people understand what we do. And that's the hardest part, get people to slow down um, and just take a moment because a few minutes of time, understand what we do is going to save properties just days and days of challenges. I mean, you know, I mean, it really is. And we've got the proof to back it up. Well, John, I, I hope that we here at the Multipayment Collective and this collective conversation can be a part of that education process. It's It's been a pleasure. Yeah, enjoy talking. Yeah, you're such a relaxed moderator. It's awesome. Thanks for the, this, the authenticity. I think that matters. Listeners, they care. We're not scripted here. So that's, that's nice. Yeah, that's that's definitely correct. So uh, I hope that you have an amazing weekend. I appreciate yes, you. your 
the time you've invested here. And uh, for everyone else, we'll see you next time on Collective Conversations. Take care. Thank you, everyone.